Hey there, Chase Vegas here. And I'm Cassidy Queerface. And we are... The Uncanny Dispatch. <laughs> We're a dark comedy podcast that brings you stories of murder, mysteries, the mystical, and the macabre. We've done all sorts of stories so far. A werewolf exorcism, UFOs that burn people, an English prophetess. <laughs> oh yeah, and all the murder. <laughs> you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Name the app, we're on it. Search for Uncanny Dispatch. Oh, and all you social media users, uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Once again, the Uncanny Dispatch. You want to hear something horrible? <laughs> you know I do. Welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. As the show grows, so has the reach of the show. I look at my analytics and see that my voice is heard in places I've only dreamed of visiting. I wanted to find a way to honor those places, to say thank you for letting my voice visit you, even if my body can't. And it's been a little while since I've taken you on a journey around the world to real haunted locations. We've visited lighthouses together and castles, but this week, I want to visit you. This is a list of hauntings from the top 10 countries my show is listened to in. Well, I did take out the US, apologies to my fellow Americans. But I feel like I've talked about our country quite a bit over the years, so I kind of shifted down. It's still 10, just taking out the top one, which is the US. Now, this list is in no particular order, not even in the order that they appear on my analytics, because that's between me and Spotify. Now, I'm going to go off what the internet says, so if you have anything extra to add or any amendments to these stories, please feel free to email me or tweet at me or send me a telegram about it. I welcome any and all corrections. I also want to address, as with all my true haunting episodes, that the stories you will hear contain subject matter that may be triggering to some folks. This episode contains references to rape, suicide, and child death. This is just an overall warning for the entire episode. It's not a running theme or anything, but you know how these grim old stories go. These subjects just come up from time to time. So if you're uncomfortable, then that is 100% understandable, and I will see you next week. No hard feelings. Before we begin, I really tried my best to seek out examples to perform each of these pronunciations correctly. I promise you I will try my hardest with my flat American accent to pronounce any and all names and locations. I find it so disrespectful when podcasters or YouTubers don't even try to find pronunciations and flippantly go like, I don't know, it's just, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's dumb. This is all to say, I full, I, I apologize wholeheartedly for my flavorless American way of speaking and what it may do to your beautiful language. With that said, are you ready 
to take a trip with me. Let's go. First, let's go to the Philippines, specifically to Legazpi City, where students at Bicol University claim that many of the buildings on campus are haunted. Let me start you off with a chilling story from the College of Nursing. A former student posted this story on Facebook using the pseudonym Nightingale's Diadem. When she was a freshman, she had classes until 8 p.m. One night after class, she needed to use the restroom and asked her classmates to wait for her in the lobby. She said that as she was washing her hands, the stall doors suddenly swung open. But she didn't think much of it and continued to wash and dry her hands. When she left the bathroom, she said she saw her friend, who she only identified as Jay, in front of the RLE room, seemingly talking to herself. Jay looked pale and terrified, and when our storyteller made her way to her, Jay immediately asked if they could go to the school's cathedral. She agreed, and after Jay had prayed a while in the cathedral, she finally told Nightingale's diadem that a woman who looked and was dressed exactly like her had left the bathroom and walked up to her. She said the only thing that was odd was that she was missing a philtrum, or the vertical groove between the base of the nose and the border of the upper lip. In Spanish, she said to Jay, I like her, your friend in the comfort room. She's beautiful. She then vanished when the real Indy came out of the bathroom. Nightingale's diadem then claimed to have spoken to another Spanish-speaking ghost in that building, a young lady as well, who asked her for help and then disappeared. Next, we move to the CS Building 2, where the ghost of a young woman is frequently seen sitting in classrooms, seen in bathroom mirrors, or lounging at the computer library. A freshman who was doing a makeup exam in the IT department had her computer suddenly turn off one day, even though the power to the rest of the building had been fine. The professor immediately told her to use their computer to finish their programming. When the student inquired later about the professor's prompt kindness in letting her use their computer, the professor confessed that it was because he saw a woman standing next to her. He said, the woman behind you turned off your computer when it had only been her and the professor in the room at the time. Now, on to the MP building, where things get pretty wild. First, on the fourth floor is the spirit of a young girl they've named Pajama Girl. She's seen asking people to play with her, and sometimes holding a ball. On the third floor, right below Pajama Girl, is where journalist students are warned not to use the restrooms at night, lest you be met by the spirit of what some believe to be a woman who was raped in the restrooms. At night, if you use the restroom, you can hear her heavy breathing and crying, and sometimes you can even see her appear behind you in the mirror. Taking the elevator down to the second floor, you may encounter a woman with long, straight, dark hair, dressed in a white gown, and wandering the hallways. Despite all those, the most haunted room of the MP building 
is considered to be room 307, where often chairs are seen moving by themselves and the giggle and pitter-patter of small children's feet can be heard. And if you're unlucky enough to actually see the children, well, some say they have red eyes, and others say they're covered in blood. Now let's go across the world to Denmark to a stunning example of Renaissance architecture, Vorgard Manor. I saw it being referred to as both a castle and a manor, depending on the source, so I hesitated adding it to the list since it would probably feel at home in my upcoming sequel to the Haunted Castles episode, but it's just so darn fascinating I couldn't pass it up, so those couple of websites who referred to it as a manor, thank you for being my cheat code. Vorgard Manor was built between 1481 and 1590. It's absolutely stunning, and it's one of the places on the list that has officially been added to my bucket list of haunted places to visit. Being so old, of course, this place has changed hands many, many times, with hundreds of years worth of history and people to become imprinted as shadows and specters haunting its stone hallways. But there is one owner in particular that many believe is the main character of this horror show. She is Ingeborg Skeel, who was the matriarch of the house from 1578 until her death in 1604. Legend has it that Froken Skeel pulled a sort of Ivan the Terrible and had the architect of the manor, Philip Brandon, drowned in the moat he had designed to make sure he never designed something so beautiful again for anyone else. She was also rumored to have the fingers of local peasant children cut off when they were found to be stealing grain from her fields. Of course, at that time in Denmark, a woman running a whole estate on her own was considered strange and unusual, something that witches would do. And despite all the terrible rumors, What we do know for sure is that she was actually quite charitable. She was an excellent businesswoman. She donated to many of what used to be called poor houses. She helped erect a hospital and a school. So those rumors may have only been that, rumors. Or she was just very multifaceted, building hospitals by day and chopping off children's fingers by night. Anyway, I suspect that she got the Elizabeth Bathory treatment, and yes, I am on the side that says Elizabeth Bathory was probably slandered by those who thought she was too independent and too wealthy and were afraid of her support of her nephew, who was the ruler of Transylvania, a direct rival to her homeland of Hungary, and most of the rumors about her bathing in virgin blood were probably false. Again, feel free to email me your thoughts. Back to Vorgard Manor. I'm sorry, I can never get through one of these without at least a tiny rant about some ridiculous historical grudge that I hold. And I know some of you can relate. Looking at you, those of you who emailed me last time defending Andrew Jackson, our cannibal president. Well, despite the rumors about Ingeborg, she's still known to be the most active spirit in the manor. 
her apparition being seen constantly by the staff of new owners over the years. She would wander the halls, blow out candles, and her spirit seemed most offended when the door to the upper east wing was closed. She was so active, in fact, a priest was called in to exercise her spirit so that she could finally rest. Some say it worked, and she was laid to rest peacefully in a nearby marsh. Some say, though, she's still wandering, and you may get a glimpse of her on your next visit. Vorgard is also known for its dungeon, Rosedonton. I don't know if I got that correct. I could not find a pronunciation for it. I am so sorry, my friends in Denmark. It's a horrific little room. It's a dungeon. So, obviously it's a horrific little room. Built so that a grown man could neither stand nor sit. And there are no windows. And the only way air can get in is through a small shaft that was built up to the upper floors so that prisoners could audibly be spied on in case they decided to crack under the pressure and confess to whatever their crimes may be. The manor also has a curse, because why not? In the form of a wild boar skin. In the 18th century, a wild boar was hunted down on the border between Vorgard and Hunsland. To solve the quandary of who the boar belonged to, it was decided it would be split, the meat going to Hunsland and the skin going to Vorgard, where it is still on display. I couldn't pin down exactly why the skin was cursed, but legend has it that if the skin is ever removed from Vorgard, that the manor will crumble to the ground, or burn down, depending on who you ask. And to finish off our tour of Vorgard, let me quickly tell you about the unremovable blood stain. In the northeastern tower, there is a stain that is said to be the blood of an innocent person who was wrongly executed. Thus, it is destined to remain as a reminder of the wrongdoing. For hundreds of years, new owners have tried to remove it, but it always comes back. Even as recent as 1997, the floor was sanded and the stain was removed. But days later, it returned. A warning from the manor itself that what was done will never be forgotten. Okay, now away we go to Australia, where I'm going to tell you about the Babinda boulders, or as curious visitors know it, the Devil's Pool, a haunted and cursed place that is still taking lives even as recently as last year. First, let me tell you about the tale of Ulana from the Yindinji tribe. After being promised to a respected tribal elder, she met a handsome young warrior named Daiga from another tribe and fell in love. They fled their tribes and escaped into the wilderness to continue their affair. Elders searched for them, and they were captured. Daiga was dragged away. Ulana escaped and was in despair. She threw herself into the devil's pools, and her anguished cries turned into the pool's torrents. Some believe that Ulana's spirit still haunts the devil's pools, pulling young men to their untimely deaths. 
and I think that they might be right. The legend goes that Ulana, still searching for her long-lost love, lures men to the beautiful waters, and when she realizes that this is not the man she was so desperately seeking, she drags the unfortunate victim down to his death. Now, unlike many stories on this list, I have cold, hard proof of these deaths. Whether they were victims of Ulana's heartbreak is, of course, up to you. But let's go through some of the Devil's Pool's victims. Strangely lining up with the legend, all but one of the victims were men. The only documented death of a woman was that of Madison Tam, who just lost her life in April of 2020 when she waded into the waters and was sucked under into a chute, basically a natural death tube that lies under the waters of the Devil's Pool. She wasn't even the only victim of 2020. On October 19th, a man by the name of Shannon Hoffman was also drowned, his body being found 200 meters from where he was last seen swimming. Since 1959, there have been at least 19 people confirmed drowned there. But there are sporadic reports before then, too, such as a man named T. Winterbottom in 1933, a young boy in 1940, and Aboriginal locals claim that another young man drowned after kicking a plaque that was placed to commemorate the dead. In 1979, a 24-year-old man named Peter McGann was drowned there and his commemorative plaque reads, he came for a visit and stayed forever. There are reports that I confess I could not find a full story about, and this one is that there was a couple standing on the rocks overlooking the pools at a safe distance when a rush of water came up and swept them away. The woman was saved, but the man was not so lucky. One of the strangest occurrences came in 2008 when a Tasmanian man by the name of James Bennett drowned. Afterwards, his friends claim they saw him get pulled backwards into the pool as if by an invisible hand. The waters are surrounded by fences and many warning signs that make it very clear that many people have already died there. There's even a sign that has the story of Ulana, who may just still be around, watching you read it, waiting for you to step just a little closer. Now we arrive in Sweden, where we will be taking a very interesting trip to the vicarage of Borgvetnet. It was built in 1876, and a vicarage, for those of you who may not know, is a place where clergymen live, men who are heads of the church, like priests and ministers. In fact, the first to report the haunting of this vicarage was a chaplain named Nils Hedlund in 1927. He reported small poltergeist-type activity, like knocking, other strange noises, and his washing being torn from the line. Nothing very scary, but still unnerving. However, in 1930, a new chaplain named Rudolf Tangsten moved in. Rudolf had some stranger activity, such as seeing the apparition of a woman in gray. One night, he looked up to see a woman standing in the next room. Confused and thinking it may be someone in need, 
He tried to approach her, but before he could reach her, she vanished. He also reported hearing her disembodied crying and laughing, and also the sound of music floating through the house, but coming from nowhere. Then, in the early 1940s, yet another chaplain, Otto Lindgren, and his wife lived there. They also heard music coming from nowhere, along with footsteps and witnessing objects move on their own. In 1941, they had a guest, Inga Floden. While Inga was sleeping one night, she woke suddenly, feeling the presence of someone in the room with her. When she looked over, she saw three women sitting on a sofa and crying. Concerned, she immediately got up and turned on the lights, but the women remained, still very upset and crying, but they appeared blurry. I don't know how or why, but apparently she just went back to bed, awakening the next day to find the women gone and realizing there wasn't even a sofa in the room. In 1945, a new chaplain named Eric Lindgren experienced so much activity that he actually began a journal to document it all. Eric's reports brought actual attention to the vicarage from the media, especially after the rocking chair story, which goes as follows. One night, Eric decided to take a rest and do some reading in a rocking chair in the vicarage. I read some accounts that say he had purchased the rocking chair himself before living there and brought it with him, and some said that it was an old chair that belonged to the house. Either way, one night, Eric was sitting and reading when an invisible force suddenly and aggressively threw him from the chair onto the floor. He decided, for God knows what reason, to try to sit in the chair again. When he says he felt a strange force attempting to enter his body. He decided to sit elsewhere from then on. The rocking chair is still on display there and is often seen rocking by itself. Now that the place is open to visitors where you can stay overnight if you'd like, many have reported stories of hearing a woman screaming, seeing an apparition of a woman, it was said to be that of the Madonna, appear behind them in a mirror, knocking sounds, the sounds of crying, and even more deadly happenings, such as when a couple was staying there and claimed that as they were walking down the stairs, the husband was grabbed by unseen hands and dragged down the stairs and out the door. The couple spent the rest of the night outside, afraid to re-enter. There are many theories about who these very upset ghosts may be, one is that it's simply the curmudgeonly spirits of previous chaplains, upset that all these people are invading their space. Some think that the female specter is that of a maid who lived in the house and became pregnant out of wedlock. She hid her pregnancy, and when she gave birth, she killed her baby and buried it in the next yard over. And yet another theory is that the spirit is that of Chaplain Per Hedlund, who was so distraught after his wife Marta's death while delivering their 11th child that he stole her body from the morgue and the townspeople had to steal it back and force him to let them bury her. Remember Niels Hedlund, the first chaplain to make note of the hauntings? 
He claimed that one of the spirits was that of one of Marta's sons. Priests have attempted to exercise the vicarage over the years to no avail. One in the 80s, a man known as the Ghost Priest, even went so far as to claim that the people of the town were secretly practicing the occult and were the reason that the spirits had taunted such holy men. I don't know about that, but I think if you live nearby, you should go see for yourself and let me know that rocking chair moves. Now we arrive in a place I have dreamed of visiting since I was a child. India. I'm going to tell you about what is considered to be one of the most haunted places in the world, the Bangar Fort. The Bangar Fort is located on the border of the Sariska Reserve in the Aravelli Range of Hills in the Alwar district of Rajasthan. Before we get to the hauntings themselves, let me tell you about the two legends that surround the fort. The first is that of the building of the fort. It's said that King Mado Singh built it in 1613, but before he did, he asked for advice on the exact spot in which he should erect his fort from Guru Balu Nath. The Guru told the king that he should build his palace on this spot near to where the Guru meditated every day, but he warned that it should not be built so big that any shadows should be cast on the Guru's humble home, for if it did, the whole town would crumble. As legend goes, one of the king's descendants did not heed the warning and built walls high enough to cast a shadow on the Guru's home, leading to the devastation and abandonment of the fort and the surrounding area. Allegedly, even today, if someone attempts to build or fix a roof there, it soon after collapses. The second legend has to do with Princess Ratnavati. The princess was known far and wide for her beauty and her agreeable temperament, making her the perfect vision of a potential bride. Many suitors sought after her hand, including Tantric Singhia, who attempted to use magic to woo the young princess. He knew that he would never be able to arrange an official meeting between he and the princess, so when one of her maids went to town one day to buy her some perfume oil, he put a spell on the oil to make the princess fall in love with him as soon as it touched her skin. Little did he know, the princess had been watching the entire time and had seen him place the magic oil in the bottle. The princess then smashed the bottle on the ground, and as the oil soaked into the soil, it turned into a boulder that then killed Tantric Singhia, who, with his dying breath, cursed the princess, her family, and the entire town. Later that year, there was a devastating war between Bangar and Ajabgar, in which Princess Ratnavati died. Flash forward to today, Visitors to the fort are not allowed to stay or enter after dark. Once the sun sets, the site is cleared out to make way for the many spectral guests who wander the grounds. The details are more vague when it comes to the hauntings at the fort. You won't hear about a lady in white or a headless horseman. More of a general evil that seems to reside there. 
There are a few alleged incidents of people not heeding the warning and entering after dark anyway, then never being seen again, including a pair of young boys. Another young man was also said to have tried to investigate the place, and as he was setting up some lighting equipment, he fell into a well. Luckily, his friends were with him and got him out and attempted to rush him to the hospital. But on the way, they were involved in a car accident where they were all killed. And yet another tale goes that a group of tourists bribed a tour guide to let them in after dark, where they opened a room and saw the ghost of a young boy. These are all rumors, of course. I couldn't find any concrete evidence about them. Locals also say that if you do disappear after dark in the fort, it could be ghosts, but it's probably tigers. About as equally scary as a ghost, if you ask me. There have also been rumors of those who have not been brave enough to actually set foot inside at night, but even from outside the fort, they hear ancient music being played and can see shadows moving around inside. Rumors or not, I know I definitely would not test my luck after dark in Fort Bangar. Now on to the UK, where I'm taking you to the town of Pluckley, Kent. This town, folks, was named by the Guinness World Records in 1989 as the most haunted town in England. What happens in Pluckley that makes it so deserving of such a title? Let's find out, shall we? Well, first of all, Pluckley is home to at least 12 official ghosts that have all been seen by many. Let's just dive into them. First, there is the Red Lady who haunts the graveyard of St. Nicholas Church, thought to be the ghost of Lady Deering who was laid to rest in the 1100s in a lead coffin with a red rose placed on her chest. She is said to awaken and wander at night in search of the grave of her stillborn baby. Also frequently seen in the same cemetery is the apparition of a little white dog. Even recently, there was a paranormal investigation throughout a night, and when the team was asked the next day by the vicar how the investigation went, the team admitted that they had been a bit annoyed that the vicar's white dog kept visiting them and messing around. The vicar then replied, I don't have a dog. And believed to be related to the Red Lady, though not the same person, perhaps a mother or sister, is the White Lady, also laid to rest in St. Nicholas Cemetery, but within seven lead and one oak coffin, she used to be seen at the Deering Family House Library on many occasions. Unfortunately, the house burned down in the 1950s, so she hasn't been seen since. The next one is so fascinating, and I wish I could see it someday. It sounds like it isn't an intelligent haunting, but more of an imprint of a moment in time. There's a part of a road in Pluckley called Fright Corner, and it's said that many years ago, a highwayman was caught up on that road by local authorities. There was a sword fight to the death, and eventually, the highwayman was pinned with a sword to an oak tree. Some late-night passers-by claim that they have seen this whole fight 
being reenacted by the ghosts of the original participants, always with the same outcome. In fact, the tree isn't even there anymore, but makes an appearance for the occasion. Imagine just coming up on some men in frilly shirts, sword fighting to the death, only to realize that they're not just LARPing history enthusiasts, but ghosts. <laughs> That's not their only haunted road. If you walk along Dickie Bus's lane, you might see the hanging corpse of a teacher who took his own life right after World War I and was found by the road's namesake, the miller, Dickie Bus. On top of that, old Dickie himself is a ghost. He's said to haunt the old mill he owned, still going about trying to keep the business up to his standards. And the school teacher isn't the only hanging ghosts. This town is just, it's overflowing with ghosts. There's also the hanging ghost of Park Wood. The story goes that the man was just passing through town, so no one really knew who he was. But when his body was discovered, he was wearing full military regalia. So he has earned the eternal nickname, the Colonel. Next is the screams of the brickmaker. At the Pluckley Brickworks one day, there was a tall stack of drying clay that came down on top of a worker, crushing him. His screams of pain are still heard from time to time in the area. And what's a haunted town without a tragic love story? Rose Court is said to be haunted by a woman who was kept there as a mistress of one of the Deering family. But during her stay, Ben also fell in love with a monk. Distressed over this love triangle that could end in nothing but disaster, the woman sought out poisonous plants and berries from the forest, mashed them into a deadly drink, and took her own life. Apparently, if you're in the garden between 4 and 5 p.m., you can still hear her calling out to her two beloved dogs. There are so many, I just don't have time to go over. I probably could have done a whole episode on Pluckley alone. I wish I would have known. I will just throw in there, I will also throw in there that there are also screaming woods where you can sporadically hear the tortured screams of men and women. The screams are loud enough that flocks of birds fly up out of the trees at the sound. If you're listening and Pluckley isn't too far of a journey for you, please take a trip there for me and let me know if you see or hear anything paranormal. Okay, everyone. So we're moving on to the Netherlands. And first... <laughs> I have to ask my listeners there a few questions. Where are all of your ghosts? Do you keep them secret from English speakers? Because I get it, but I just want to know. Most countries had a myriad of hauntings for me to choose from, and the Netherlands was a ghost town for ghost towns. I'm going to try my best. Most of what I found was in Amsterdam. All of what I found was in Amsterdam. <laughs> Who am I kidding? So I'm sorry if I have any rural Dutch listeners because all I could find were ghosts from the big city. So here we go. Let's start with Dam Square, which was the site of the executions that took place during the Spanish Inquisition. For those of you who don't know, in very, very cliff note terms, 
The Spanish Inquisition was established in 1478 by Catholic monarchs Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella I of Castile. And yes, that is the same Ferdinand and Isabella that we connect to Christopher Columbus. So they were doing all kinds of just (laughs) terrible stuff during that time. Anyway, that's a story for another time. I can't get off on another historical rant. Okay, and this, so the the Inquisition was not disbanded. It was started in 1478 by those two and was not disbanded until 1834. So they decided that everyone needed to be converted to Catholicism, lest they be labeled heretics. That included all Jews and all Muslims. At first, I believe they were just asked to leave Castile if they refused to convert. That did not last long. At its worst times, however, not that any of this was ever good or okay, but at its worst times, as the Inquisition spread across Europe, it became a bloodbath of torture and murder, including burning a lot of innocent people alive just because they refused to convert to Catholicism. The Spanish Inquisition is way more complicated and has a lot more variables than I just stated, so please look into it yourself if you'd like to know more. You can also visit the historical classic by Mel Brooks, History of the World Part 1, for another brief but very informative scene about the Spanish Inquisition. Okay, back to the ghosts. So from what I've read, Dam Square is currently a very lovely spot of shopping and tourists taking pictures. I've heard it's very nice. But... It's important to know that it was once a place where more than 1,000 men and women were burned alive for their beliefs. It's believed that their tortured souls still haunt the square, and if you listen closely, you can still hear their screams. This also goes for a place called Blood Street. There is a Dutch word for it that I really tried to pronounce, and I did not do a good job, and I could not find a pronunciation. So we're going to go with Blood Street. I apologize to my Dutch listeners. Or I'm not apologetic because I didn't just butcher your language horrifically. Um, where the victims of the Inquisition, that's, this is where they were actually accused and told what their fates would be. And a lot of times when it, before it actually got to the Um, you're going to be burned alive before then was typically a lot of torture too so their screams can also be heard on Blood Street begging for mercy now over to what is appropriately named Spooksteeg or Ghost Alley where in the 1700s two sisters named Dinah and Helena lived in that alleyway with their father One day, a handsome sailor came to town and caught the eye of both sisters. But this sailor only had feelings for one of them and fell madly in love with Dinah. Helena, in a jealous rage, threw Dinah into the cellar where the family's tannery was, killing her. She then successfully convinced everyone that it was just an accident. The sailor was devastated, but went on to marry Helena. I guess she was the next best thing? Years later, though, on Helena's deathbed, she confessed to her husband what she had done, begging for his forgiveness. 
Even after all that time, however, the sailor still loved Dinah, and instead of forgiving his wife, he cursed her soul for killing his beloved. It's said that you can still hear Helena screams and cries in the alley as she is doomed to walk the earth, cursed for her wrongdoing. Last, I want to talk about Montalban Tower, which hosts a rare annual haunting. The tower was built in 1516. The story goes that at some time, the city was under attack, and a family attempted to take refuge inside the tower and almost made it inside, but they were all tragically struck down. Now, on June 2nd, every year, their spirits reenact their fateful attempt to make it to the tower. So, if you're ever in Amsterdam on June 2nd, take a trip over to Montalban Tower and let me know if you see anything extraordinary. Now we come to South Africa, to Kempton Park Hospital in Johannesburg. Perhaps one of the creepiest things about Kempton Park Hospital is the fact that there is still a mystery behind why exactly it was closed. The hospital was evacuated on the 24th of December in 1996, and the day after the annual Christmas party for the staff, the hospital was locked and abandoned for good. Left behind were loads of medical equipment, paperwork, beds, scalpels, even organs in jars. There are even blood-spattered sheets and bloodstains in different rooms. Since then, the place has been left to rot and decay, but has become a sought-after destination for local ghost hunters. The hospital happened to be built on top of a ley line. Ley lines are a controversial subject. I don't personally believe in them, but basically a lot of paranormal investigators and conspiracy theorists believe that many ancient structures were built in a pattern on the earth. Like, for example, you can technically form a straight line on a map between the Great Pyramids of Giza and Stonehenge and some other ancient structure that is leaves my brain right now, I can't think of it, and some people think that that means that there is a greater power or a being involved in all this architecture and it's all connected in some way. Again, I don't really believe in it personally, but those who do believe it think that things built on these ley lines attract a lot more paranormal activity than other places. Back to the hospital. Some think that something dark was happening there. There was at one time, but at that current time, who's to say? And they think that's why the doors were so abruptly shut, because the doctors there wanted to make sure that their secrets were never found. Some of the ghosts seen here are those of small children. In fact, since the closure, even neighboring houses have begun having childlike poltergeist activity in their homes. They find child-sized footprints inside their houses, even see full-on apparitions of children playing with their own children's toys. One 
sad reason for so many childlike apparitions could be because they might have been victims of Dr. Andre Esther Hoisen, who was a high school dropout who posed as a pediatrician and whose malpractice managed to kill several babies. He was sentenced to 18 years in prison in 1992. The spirit of a nun has also been seen wandering the halls, as if she's still making her rounds, attempting to tend to the sick who used to be under her charge. Since South Africa was also a tough one to find many ghost stories about, or at least many stories that had extensive backgrounds, I wanted to throw in a bonus and tell you about the Mami Wata, or the Mother of Water, the southern, central, and west African version of mermaids. In South Africa, there is a dam with many unmarked graves along its banks, and according to locals, those graves are of men who were lured to their deaths by the beautiful Mami Wata. I love a good murderous tale of sirens, so I just had to tell you that Africa has their own version of beautiful homicidal mermaids. Now, let us make our way over to Norway, to Akershus Fortress, considered by many the most haunted place in Oslo. Akershus Fortress was built in the 1290s and served as an excellent defense system for the area for hundreds of years. Of course, there was that tiny bit of time in the 1940s when they were forced to surrender it to the Nazis, but obviously they got it back. The fortress wasn't only used for good, of course, as most military edifices go. Well, clearly, they, I, I can't believe I wrote it like that. I literally just said the Nazis took it over. So, of course, it wasn't always used for good. Wow, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> while it served, that's just me going off script. While it served as a prison hundreds of years ago, there was a portion known as the slavery where locals could go rent prisoners to make them do manual labor for them. After such a long and sordid history, the fortress is unsurprisingly home to many spirits, but some of these aren't human. To begin with, there is the spirit of a large black dog. He even has a name. It's Malkinesen. It's said that this poor pup was buried alive hundreds of years ago at the fortress and now guards the gates. Don't go looking for him, though, because it's also said that if you happen to see him, that something terrible is about to happen to you. Next is a woman named Mantelgeisten. It's so neat that both of these spirits have names. So many that we've discussed tonight don't have names at all, just descriptions. Anyway... Mentalgeisten is the ghost of a woman. No one knows why she haunts the fortress or who she is or was. She's often seen by visitors appearing out of the darkness and walking towards one of the cells. To make the image of a ghost woman just emerging from a dark hallway even creepier, she's also always wearing long dark robes and has no face. There are also some other funny things that appear at the fortress. I guess you would call them spirits, but they're also called night pyres. I've never heard of these. 
they appear before any fires lit there and are baby-sized women who have hideous grins and frightening laughter. Like, what could those possibly be? I'm not a big cryptid person, so if any cryptid person out there could explain to me what these horrifying little things are, that would be great. Visitors and workers have also reported seeing ghostly soldiers still manning their posts. Then, as you're observing them, poof, they disappear. There are also the sounds of horses galloping along the stone walkways, which some think is the sound of a drunken Swedish soldier who once stole the horse of a Norwegian soldier and rode along the walls of the fortress, claiming that he had conquered Norway. He was promptly shot and killed by Norwegian forces. You can also even hear the screams of long-gone prisoners being led to their executions, and when you're touring the inside, you may still hear the rattling of chains from prisoners past. Sounds like a pretty hot spot to be if you're looking for paranormal activity. And last, but definitely not least, my neighbors to the north, Canada. And we're specifically going to visit the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel. This hotel, by the way, looks like a palace from a storybook. It's stunning, especially in pictures of it in the winter with all the snow. I would slap a baby for the chance to stay there. That was hyperbole. I just really want to stay at this gorgeous hotel. So, the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel opened in 1888. And let me tell you, it has its fair share of ghosts. Oh my god, I just kind of spaced out and pictured a scare you to sleep field trip to this hotel where I meet a bunch of you and we all hunt ghosts together. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Anyway, back to the ghosts. It's honestly no surprise this place is haunted. Seriously, if your hands are free, look this place up. Like, if it was in a horror movie, it would almost be kind of cliche. Like, oh, well, yeah, that place is clearly chock full of ghosts. Let's begin with the bride. Again, how classic ghost story can you get? This is basically the haunted mansion at Disneyland. Anyway, this story goes back to sometime in the 1920s. A bride on her wedding day was descending the marble steps of the hotel when she must have tripped on the hem of her gown and fell down the stairs to her death. Now, the staff says sometimes they see a veiled figure moving up and down the stairs. But our bride doesn't stay in one spot. Sometimes she's seen in the ballroom, dancing alone to no music, in the place where she never got to dance with her new husband. Next is a sort of sweet story of a bellman named Sam McCauley. He was a Scotsman who worked for the hotel for many years and was head bellman in the 1960s and 70s. Sam passed away in 1975, and since then, he's decided to stick around and help out the new staff. Guests have commented on the kind and helpful bellhop with a Scottish accent and dressed in a 1960s uniform who helped them turn on their lights or let them into their rooms, only to be told that no one like that works here. Other guests say that they've even gone so far as to attempt to hand Sam a tip, and instead of taking it, 
he just smiles and disappears. Okay, so I told you about Sam to give you a happy little break before we got into this last portion of the evening. This room at the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel is so terrifying that some articles won't even mention the actual room number, and the hotel itself had the room bricked up. So no, you can't go test your courage by renting it for a night, because it was so horrifying and considered so dangerous that it now lives within the walls of the hotel. This is room 873. Now, if you ask the staff, they'll tell you that room 873 is a myth. Oh no, no such room has ever existed. Those are just rumors. Now, can I get Sam to help you to your room? But, some sleuths have done some digging. See, the other floors all have a 73rd room, but not the 8th floor. It ends at 72, and in the hallway where room 873 should be, there is no door, but the baseboards are cut in the width of where a door would be, and if you tap on that area, it sounds hollow, not like the rest of the wall. Of course, I don't recommend doing that. If you go knocking on doors, even bricked up ones, someone might answer. In fact, some guests have even seen the ghost of a young girl outside of this non-door, as if she's waiting to be let in. So what happened in room 873? Again, the staff will say this is not true, but the story goes that a man murdered both his wife and daughter before committing suicide. And after that, Anyone who stayed in the room was terrorized with shrieks and screams, and the maids claimed that they would find bloody fingerprints all over the bathroom mirror that they couldn't get off. We don't know all the stories or all the details, however. Unlike many haunted hotels who like to play into their ghostly residence and tell you all about them, the staff at the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel have clearly been instructed to insist that nothing ever happened in room 873. I mean, what room 873? There is no room 873. Can I interest you in a complimentary appetizer at one of our many fine dining establishments? Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope my friends and listeners from around the world, well, if you're a listener, you're a friend from around the world, enjoyed this. I'm really, it's just every day, it, it blows my mind that people who, people listen, I mean, honestly, it still blows my mind that people who aren't just like my mom listen to the show. <laughs> and the fact that my, I have a reach around the world means so much to me. It's, it's seriously incredible. I've I've always had a wanderlust that I've never been able to afford to feed, so this is just a little bit of something that at least I know in a little way I'm traveling to these places, so that's nice. <laughs> um, follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, if you'd like, I want to do an episode upcoming. I'll do a bigger announcement um, in the future, but 
if you look at my show notes, there's a little button that says you can, if you click there, you can leave me a voicemail. And I'd really love to do a Q&A soon uh, where I listen to your voicemails and I can hear your actual voices. Or you can just leave a comment, um, whatever you'd like to leave. Yeah, like I said, if you have a question, I'll answer it. If you just have a comment, that's cool too. Uh, Yeah, so leave a little voicemail for me and that'd be great. Um, If I get enough to make a little bonus episode, I will release it. Yeah, it'll be a bonus episode. It won't be a regular episode. I would not put you through that if you don't feel like listening to a Q&A. Um, I believe that's all for tonight. Go listen to Un- Uncanny Dispatch. That's who was at the beginning of the show, the top of the show. Uh, seriously, I'm, I love their show so much. Oh my god. Um, I actually like have reached out to them so many times about giving them suggestions for like topics on their show because I love hearing them discuss things. Um, I think that's all for tonight. Uh, I'm going to go eat the Chinese food that I ordered at 10 o'clock. That actually got delivered to my neighbor, who was nice enough to, at 10 p.m., re-deliver my Chinese food because it got delivered to her house instead of mine, while I was in the middle of being very upset and having a tiny little private hissy fit about the fact that it was too late to now order more Chinese food. (laughs) Anyway, um, I just always overshare with everybody. I'm sorry. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode tell your friends about the show. Uh, I'd really love to grow it. I'd really love to stay here at Spotify. So the more people you tell, the more listeners I get, the more likely they are to keep me around. Um, yeah. All right. I think that's all for tonight. Go drink water. I'm going to (sighs) go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.